Are you thankful? See, some of you have family around. I'm not going to ask if you're thankful, you know. I'm thankful for family, you know. Sometimes we're thankful for family. Sometimes we're thankful that we see them once a year, whatever. We're thankful, all right? You thankful to be in this, in this country? I mean, we are more than blessed by far. You know, I just think about it. You know, I've spent, I've gone on several mission trips, and every time I'm reminded, and why do we take it for granted? It, we are blessed. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for this church family. I'm thankful. I'm super thankful for God's grace and the promise of a soon return. I'm just thankful. We should be thankful. Sing with me. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Father, great is your name in all the earth. Whether they know it or not, the provision was made because of you and your love for your people. We ask that the Spirit of the Lord is here, and and as we're here for these few moments and as we go out, may people know, just like they knew with your disciples, that these people have been with Jesus. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I am going to apologize ahead of time that we are doing these units in Romans and not doing them justice in a, in a study. But this is a survey, you know, a survey class. And we're in the heart of this in Romans chapter 6 uh, through 8. So you will need to go to Romans chapter 6. But I want to give you some background because not all of you have been here through this little journey we've done. But if you have read the book of Romans at all, you can probably see that Romans 1 through 3 basically says one message. We're all in the same boat. For all have sinned and fallen what? Short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter what church you were raised in. It doesn't matter what family you were raised in. It doesn't matter what caste system you were a part of. You fall short. Period. That's it. And that's good news. It is good news. Because nobody has an advantage here. There are benefits to being raised in a, in a Christian family. I do believe that. But nobody has an advantage when it comes to God. We're all in the same boat. We all have the same struggles. Now, secondly, once you get to Romans 4 and then to 5, he says, you're all in the same boat Because you're all under Adam. And through Adam, sin came into the world and death affected how many people? Everybody. So as sin came through Adam and death went to everybody, so through one man, salvation and life came to how many people? 
to all people. Now, this is hard for some people to to grasp, but it's straight out of Romans because it's out of Romans 5. Remember, even if you haven't accepted Jesus yet or if people haven't, it says in Romans 5, while we were still sinners, but it doesn't even just say sinners. It says, while we were still enemies of God, that provision was made. All, I'm going to say something, and you have to listen to the whole comment, all are saved in Jesus Christ. Uh-oh. wonder if the stones come out yet. That does not mean that you don't have a choice, though. But the provision was made for you and everybody already. Let me give you a scenario, and this is why I believe this. Can everybody be saved? Yes. Actually, that's God's wanting. It says in Roman, I mean in 2 Peter, he says the reason he is not come yet is he wants all people to come back. I want all. Does he get what he wants? Sad to say no. He wants all. The provision is made. It says grace is more abundant than all of the sin ever. And let me give you a scenario. If, if Joe over here, if he's a wealthy donor, which we know he's super wealthy, he's a wealthy donor, and he wants to donate, he wants to set up a fund at Harvard University. And he says, I want everybody from Downers Grove, the city of Downers Grove, to be able to go free to Harvard University. Everybody who lives within Downers Grove gets to go to Harvard University free because of what he paid if my kids live in Downers Grove, is that scholarship or that grant or whatever you call it, is it theirs right now? I, I, I hear some confusion. Is it theirs? Yes, it is theirs. They have it right now. Even though they're not in school there, they own it. It's theirs. So whatever they decide to choose, is up to them, but they own it. Do you know in Philippians it says, your citizenship is not here on earth. It is already, even though you still live here, already in heaven. The provision is made so you already own it. And so do they, unless they reject it. This is why we as Seventh-day Adventists if you read like the book of Desire of Ages, it says that there will be people surprised that they are in the kingdom because they never heard the name of Jesus Christ. But because the provision was already made and they get there, the grace is great enough. And they're like, whoa, what is this place? The provision's made already. This is good news. Guys, I hope that you chew on this and study it. Well, we'll be studying for eternity. This is the background of Romans chapter 6. This is gospel news. So before we get to Romans chapter 6, so after you go to the power of God slide, you go here to, do you guys know what a laryngectomy is? Yes? 
Nobody in here has had one, right? So when I was, I had to be second or third grade, we had somebody come into our classroom, and they had a hole right here. Have you ever seen those people? They had a hole, and they had this little thing that would, they would talk through. They go, hello, my name is Susie. And they would have to do it every time. How are you? I have this. And actually, everybody that I've seen with one that has a hole there, it was because they had part of their larynx, larynx taken out because of what? Smoking. They've had it because there was some kind of cancer there. So they took part of it out, and they had to talk through here. And it was really sort of unsettling that there was a hole in somebody's throat. Go to the next slide. But I have seen this. And this is even, to me, more disturbing. I've seen people, actually seen people smoke through that hole. They just had surgery to take out part of this because they were smoking, so they feel better, but they decide what, what made me get this taken out with smoking they decide, well, I'm good for right now. I'll go back to smoking. Doesn't, doesn't that blow your mind? But that's what they're used to. They went back. That's what Romans 6 is about. Romans 6, if you read the first verse, it says here, Romans, Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say? Remember, we said salvation is already yours. It's already, you have access to it. It's already yours. But what shall we say just because of that? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Don't be ridiculous. That's like smoking through a hole in your throat. Why would you go back to this? That's what he's saying there. Why would you do this? By no means, it says, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? You've died to that. That was really, really bad for you. Why would you go back? You already had part of your throat cut out. So you're going to go back to this? Do you know in the Exodus... I want to get you, you to get a picture throughout Scripture where, where this, how this relates. In Exodus, somebody tell me in Exodus chapter 20, which is where we get the Ten Commandments, the first set of Ten Commandments, what does the first verse say? Does it, does it immediately go into the Ten Commandments that says, you will have no other gods before me or thou shalt not have any other gods before me? Is that what it says? What does it say? The Lord says what? I am the Lord who brought you out of, out of the land of Egypt, the land of slavery. So when they got the Ten Commandments in our language, were they saved or not yet? Yes, they were saved. They were out of the land. They were already delivered before they got any of that. Did they do anything in that provision? They, okay, they had, a, they had the lamb and everything, but, you know, God brought some really messed up 
people out. He brought Egyptians out, what they called the mixed multitude. Remember, they're the ones that are like, hmm, I'm hungry for meat. He's like, I'll give you quail. There you go. Eat. It's the way up to here. Eat it up. And then they get sick. And, you know, but they were messed up people, like you, like Rod. They were that messed up, yet they were delivered already. And the only purpose for the Ten Commandments is you have been delivered from bondage, from slavery. Don't go back. Don't go back. Do you understand, as Seventh-day Adventists, here, here we herald this thing called the Sabbath. The, the purpose of the Sabbath in the Ten Commandments is you have been freed from slavery. I am going to make it so that you, that we will never be enslaved to work again. Work is never more important than relationship for any of you. So I am going to make it so that nobody can work on this day. You must spend it with your family. The problem is we made a day of freedom back into a day of bondage. You can't do this. You can't watch this. You can't do that. Whatever we do, we have made we have put chains and chains and chains on the Sabbath when it was a day of freedom. Can you imagine those Egyptians, I mean, these Israelites that came out, they're like, well, I've been working seven days a week, 16-hour days. What do I do with this day? And I can't work? But I really, that's all I know. No, I can't work. Oh, all right. Well, let's wake up late. Let's eat something we like. Let's dance. Sorry, I know we're in Adventist church, but we know that the Hebrews danced. They said, let's celebrate. This is a day of freedom. Just don't go back. That's what he's saying is, why would you want to go back to slavery? So jump down or to verse 3. We're going to read some of this. It says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in, that, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You are not bound to slavery. You have a new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we certainly will also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Amen. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, meaning do not let it be your master anymore. You've been set free. Don't let Egypt be your master. Don't let sin be your master either in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin 
as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but you are under grace. Sin is not your master. You are not enslaved anymore. You are free. How great is that? What this is saying about the baptism, by the way, if you have not been baptized, which I do encourage, if, I will say this, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and believe that's technically, while the stones come out, that's technically the biblical reason for baptism. If you remember the jailer back in Acts chapter, what is it, 15 or 16, um, the jailer who was a pagan said, what do I need to, to be saved? He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household will be saved. He didn't say become vegetarian. He didn't say... All he says, believe and be baptized to a pagan. And it, did it say it took six weeks in evangelistic series before he was baptized? How long? What does it say? Your text says immediately he was baptized. He goes home, you know, cleans off their wounds immediately. That day. What? He didn't understand everything? And they were baptizing him? Heretics. If you believe in this, that you, if you have accepted that Jesus died and was re resurrected for you, and you believe in the victory of Jesus Christ, that is the biblical, I'm just saying biblical, reason for baptism. Again, he states the same statement in verse 15. He says, What then? Shall we say because we are not under the law but under grace? Oh, what Shall we sin? Shall we sin because of that? No. Don't be ridiculous. That's crazy. That's crazy talk. Why would you go back? Here is his reasoning. And I've already talked to you about this before. He said, your problem, Romans, is that you don't understand sin. That's the problem. Why you are going back, why you'd even think of going back, you don't understand sin. Sin is not doing bad things. Do you understand that? Sin is not doing something that disappoints God. Do you understand this? This is what sin is. Starting in verse 21, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in what? Death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is disappointing God. Is that what the wages of sin is? The wages of sin is doing bad things. No. He says, if you want to understand sin, the wages of sin is what? 
death. You don't understand. Sin leads to death. Sin leads to death. I don't want you to die. That's what he's saying. The wages of sin is death. Why are you trying to go back to something that's going to kill you? But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why are you going back to something that will kill you? It's death. That's it. Remember? There are four things that God wants to get rid of at, in, Romans, I mean, in Revelation 21. Death, sorrow, crying, pain. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, sorrow, crying, pain. That's it. That's what he's getting rid of. And he says the wages of sin is death. By the way, is that just temporary death? According to here, what's the gift of God? Eternal life. So that's talking about eternal death. By the way, just so that you see this, what is the gift of God? For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son. What is the gift of God? Jesus. Jesus is the gift. Do you understand this? Jesus is the gift of God. He is also, and it's an equal sign, he is eternal life. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I am, not I have. I don't have life. He doesn't have life. He is life. So the only way you get eternal life is connecting with him, right? Boom. Oh, I have life. No, I don't have life. I have life. Make sense? You plug in, you know, you have light, you unplug it, you don't. That's what, he is the life. By the way, wages, next slide. Wages are something you earn. You know this. It's something you have to do. The gift of God, what is a gift? It's a gift. Somebody gives it to you, what do you have to do to get it? Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I guess take it, accept it. It's given. As Morris Venden used to say, in this economy, it is harder to be lost than to be saved because you already have access. It was given to you. But you actually have to work, using the language, to be lost. It's yours. And, we're, and we mess up, and, and we're like, oh, okay, you can have it back. No, no, no. God's saying, I don't want it back. I want you in the kingdom. I want you to have life. And you mess up again. Oh, I better give this back. No, no, no. It's yours. This is yours. I don't want you to die. The wages of sin is death. That's why he's saying this. And then he goes into this whole thing right here. He's like, I understand your struggle. When we're going to get to, I think we're at, are you guys at Romans 7? Are we at Romans 7 in the, in the quarterly? Yeah, in the Sabbath school quarterly? And in Romans chapter 7, there's three main components, right? Or three main big parts. And first one, he gives into the argument. He says, why would you go back to death? But, you know, we'll, we'll just, 
Paul, I think Paul sometimes is just like, well, we'll, we'll follow this thread. We'll just do it so that we can really beat this dead horse. He says this, um, do you know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man who uh, only as long as he lives or she lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive, but after her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then, if she, is, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she's an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another. Now, remember, we're tying this to this. He says, you were married to sin and death. That's bad. You're married to that. That covenant we ended, and God provided a new covenant for you, which is life. Please don't try and go back to your dead husband who was very abusive and kept you locked in a closet. Could you imagine, do you guys know the story of Abigail and David? Remember, remember she was married to this really just cruel guy and, and David was, you know, needed food for his army and he was going to go and, and then basically the, the, her husband was like, I'm not, I don't know this David guy. I'm not giving him anything. Well, she went and gave food, you know, anything. Anyways, she gives food she finds David's grace. Her husband dies. And she marries somebody way better. Could you imagine if she was like, hey, David, I really miss my abusive, just horrible husband. I miss him. He just treated me so horrible. By the way, we do have people like that that just are gluttons for punishment. They get into these relationships and, and they live in abusive relationships and they actually feel... I don't know, fulfilled in that, but, but he's saying, why would you go back to an abusive, slavery-driven husband? That's what this is talking about. You are free. You're under a new marriage covenant with God that actually gives you life and freedom. And then he says, and I want you to understand the law's purpose. In verse, we're going to jump to verse 13. He said, Oh, no, no, verse 7, sorry. What shall we say? Is the law sin? So is it? No. The law is not sin. Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I, was, I would not have known that covenant really, what, what covenant really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But guess what? Whether you knew it or not, there was still one end. What was it? Death. So there could be a fence or a guardrail, and there's a cliff. So you go visit something, and there's this cliff. Well, if you're going to walk, whether the guardrail's there or not, I mean, if the guardrail's this high and you want to walk over it, whatever, it's certain falling. That's what he's saying. I, I wouldn't know... I, whether the guardrail was there or not, it, it didn't matter. It was, we were going to die anyways. But now I know that that's not good. He said that. Oh, now I know. That's not a bad thing. A guardrail here is not a bad thing, right? It protects people. 
That's what he's saying about the law. It protects people. Now, if I did fall over, would the guardrail be able to put me back together? I heard two people say no. No. The law cannot save. The law cannot heal. It will protect. When it says, thou shalt not commit adultery, that protects relationships. I hope you realize that. But guess what? If that has happened, you can't point to the law and say, hey, can you put me back together? Can you put my family back together? No, the law never was for the purpose of healing relationships. It was there to protect from broken hearts. And he says this, that's the law's purpose. It's to, so that you realize what will actually hurt you. You need to know what will hurt you. But here's the problem. Number three, you can't do it. You absolutely can't do it. On your own, you can't do it. Because here he talks about it in verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual. So he's, he's doing an affirmative. It's a good thing. But my problem is I'm unspiritual. I'm of the flesh. Sold as a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but, I, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who, who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot, not I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do, I do not what I want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, man, he uses do a lot. It is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. And then he goes on and he says, and it, it actually uses the law to do this. It's sort of, he says, I actually want to rebel a little bit more with, now that I know the law. Like, for example, Ashley, remember you said, your mama says, do not eat these cookies. Now, if you have kids or work with kids, when you say do not do this, is there inclination to, I will obey that. I will not. No, I know plenty of kids that it is actually the opposite. Once I know I'm not supposed to do this, something crazy is in their head that says, I must do that. Because my well-respected parents said, don't do it. And they must be wrong. I need to do it for my life's sake. He says that's what it's doing here. The law was never bad, but we somehow in our craziness want to rebel against it. And he, he ends up saying this in verse 24. He says, what a wretched man I am. 
Now, I know that there are theories on when Paul was referring to, if he was referring pre-Christ or post-Christ. In the language, he says, what a wretched man I was, I will be, I am currently. He felt this way. He was still messing up. What a wretched man I am. But he follows it with this. He says, what a wretched man I am. And he asks a question, by the way. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And here is his answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. And that, remember, there were not chapters and verses back then, because here's the continuation. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. His question is, who? Who will save me? Who's going to deliver me? Because I will continue to mess up and mess up and mess up and mess up, leading to death. He says, oh, wait. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ who already delivered me. Therefore, because there's an argument, Question answer, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. There is only life for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that gospel? And he says, just to ensure this, I'm going to give you an X factor. This is the one that's going to take you to the next level. So if we had a basketball game, me versus Oliver, one-on-one, we know that I would win. I mean, that's an obvious. I would win unless I broke both legs and one arm. Then it probably would end up in a tie. But other than that, I would win unless he meets LeBron James and says, hey, we've changed the rules. Uh, we're going to play two-on-two and you're on my team, and I've got Rod. Then I'm worse off, and he's way better off. The X factor is LeBron James. You are not the X factor. Here he says there's an X factor here, and it's the Holy Spirit. And you see there's three times main sections where he says the Spirit is the X factor that will make sure that you are victorious. You will, not can, you will be victorious through the Spirit. Let's read verses 9, and, 9 through 11 of chapter 8. It says this, You, however, are controlled not by sinful nature anymore. It doesn't say anymore, but I'm adding that. But by the Spirit. And if the Spirit of God lives in you, Okay, so if, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So if you have the spirit of God, that's a positive. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, 
He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. He says, if you have the spirit, you automatically have the life. All right? I'm infusing you with that. And then if you look in verse 14, it says this. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You are adopted in. You are a child. I mean, think about this. If you are a child, what, what access do you have to your, you know, while you're living in your parents' house? You have everything, according to here. Now, there's things that I don't let my kids, you know, I don't want to eat too much sugar. But he says, you are sons. You have access. You are there because of the Spirit. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, which is access to everything in the kingdom. And then he says this in verse 26. He says, In the same way the spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans and words that cannot, words that, that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. There is stuff you can't do on your own. We don't even know how to pray on our own. We don't know what to ask for. He says, the X factor steps in and says, I'm helping you the whole way. And guess what? I'm stronger than any enemy. They can't do anything. You know? It's like somebody fighting a tank. The enemy, you know, Satan himself might be the strongest person out there, but a tank will run him over. And he's saying, Holy Spirit's your tank. There is nothing the enemy can do to not make you victorious. Nothing. If the Spirit is there, you are victorious. Boom. And so he concludes this section, and I, and I feel it's important that we read this, that we read this whole part in, in Romans chapter 3, I mean 8, verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say in response to this? If God... And his spirit, if God is for us, what? Who can be against us? I don't care who it is, the whole world, the whole universe. If God is for you, the other team loses. Who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen. It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who raised us to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us all. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Do you, do you love that? He, he doesn't say we are conquerors. 
He says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And through that you are victorious. To sum up this, Romans 6 says this, and you see your blanks on your notes. Why would you go back to sin? Because all it does is leads to death. Don't go back to smoking. Why would you go back? Because all it does is lead to death. Romans 7 says, you will struggle and you will lose on your own. But then Romans 8 says, you cannot lose because the spirit is stronger than you and the enemies and demons that follow you. You are victorious. And again, as Moses told, as the Lord told Moses to tell Aaron to bless his sons and say, Yevareka Adonai Vayishmareka, Yaer Adonai Panav Alecha Vichuneka, Yisa Adonai Panav Alecha the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Father, we ask that the spirit of the Lord is upon us. The spirit of power, the spirit of life. May you empower us to glorify your holy name and live in the freedom of Jesus Christ all the days of our life. In your powerful name we pray, amen. amen. Happy Sabbath, everybody.